It's true, God is here, and God is wanting to rescue you. He is calling your name, wanting a relationship with you. And if you're here today and you're resisting or you're trying to go your own way, listen carefully to what he has to say to you in this portion of Scripture, Romans 8. Have you ever wished you could maybe paint like Rembrandt? Maybe, possibly, you might want to sing like Pavarotti, possibly. Maybe even Brianna. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you want to play basketball like uh, Michael Jordan. Maybe do something like that. You, You could fill in the blank. If only I could do this like this person. And I'm sure you can fill in the blank many ways, and a lot of different people, and a lot of different abilities you're thinking of. I remember as a um, young youth pastor, just into the ministry, we had a, a pastor to the seniors at the church. His name was Gordon Jaffe. He is a pastor that has been retired in our in our conference or denomination for a while at that time, and he joined up with our church at Lavish Center and and was that pastor of the seniors. He did the senior luncheons with the people. He didn't cook, <laughs> but he did those things in the outings and, and visited those people. He was a prayer warrior. He, wanted to, he just prayed for everyone and always continued to pray. You knew you were prayed for by that, that gentleman. Well, he was in the hospital, and he was close to heaven. And I remember going in and visiting him because he would go and visit other people and care for them. I thought, I'm going to go visit him and I, I would like to go and pray for him. Well, I got to his room. He was in a hospital bed, and he was sleeping. I think maybe the uh, medication was keeping him pretty much asleep. And so I just went to his bedside, and I just bowed my head, and I prayed silently for him. And as I prayed, I kind of thought, too, Lord, if you could only give me just a small portion, just a small portion of this man's great faith, of this man's incredible ability to pray for others. Just that small portion. And going away from that room after praying, and he didn't wake up when I was there, I remember thinking, Lord, I, I trust in you that you will provide for that. And uh, it's those moments where we just kind of wish we would have that type of um, ability as that person does. And, and like I said, you probably have people that you can think of in that way. But of course, you can't become another Rembrandt or another Pavarotti or whatever by simply willing it to happen. But as long as you are thinking about the impossible, consider what might happen if you receive the spirit of one of these people you wish to emulate. That you'd be able to receive that, so just be able to do that. I mean, the Michael Jordan situation, they did that with a movie. I think it's called Like Mike, and they had fun with that. But if you could just have that spirit of that person, you would have the abilities that these people had. You wouldn't have to wish anymore about this or that. It, it would happen. Now, here's a startling fact. Maybe you realize this already and you know where I'm going. But every believer has received the spirit of Christ. And he makes it possible to lead a holy life. This truth can encourage us to live in the Spirit so that we can shine as lights in a dark world. The secret of success in the Christian life is in the Spirit of God. 
One needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit as was promised to his children by God. But they must be first born of the Spirit to live in freedom from sin and death. And the motivation of life in the Spirit must completely displace the motivation of self-sin. Those who receive this gift of the Holy Spirit can expect power to live a joyful and fruitful life with the hope of final glory. Is there, you might ask, is there hope of overcoming handicaps that have existed since the days of Adam and Eve? Could we ever overcome those handicaps? I mean, even Moses and David, those great deliverers, their fallen humanity asserted itself and nearly wrecked their usefulness in their lives. And this is what the book of Romans is about. In the first seven chapters, just identify and partially deal with the culprit. What is sin? And is it really separable from human nature? That is, is human nature incurably a sinful nature without cure? Or can human nature be delivered from sin and kept free for service to God? The answer is found in Romans chapter 8. Life in the Spirit, the Spirit-filled life, is the answer not only to moral pollution, but all, but all the positive values of being children of God and heirs of His, His eternal kingdom. The fullness of the Spirit. The fullness of the Spirit is God's method of restoring the dignity and the destiny of fallen humanity to the true children of God and heirs of the kingdom. The fullness of the Spirit in, in us. Before we get to Romans 8, let me give you a little background, kind of back up a bit and come with a running start to this chapter. In Romans 6, the first, the, the, 1 through 23, verses 1 through 23, Paul described life under God's grace. And this grace has been provided through Jesus Christ. And those who accept this grace by faith have died to the power of sin and are enabled by grace to live a life of righteousness. And the principle and power of this new life is God's spirit, not God's law. So where does the Old Testament fit into all this? Where does the Old Testament law fit into all this? As we saw last Sunday, Romans chapter 7 answers this question. It describes a person who is trying to live for God by keeping God's law. And the law is not able to conquer the power of sin in our hearts. Its purpose is to expose this sin. You've done wrong. You've messed up here. You haven't fulfilled this law. And so it exposes that before us. By prohibiting sin, it aggravates the sin that controls us so that we commit more sinful acts. And this results in our coming to realize our deep need for Christ. Those who are trying to live by the law are trying to serve God in the old way of the written code, as it says in Romans 7, verse 6. In chapter 8, in the first seven verses, Paul described the true life of victory under grace as the new way of the Spirit. And that is something we also, too, if you haven't yet, need to discover and live in. Before we move on to that portion of Scripture, uh, verses 1 through 17 of uh, Romans 8. It might be helpful a little bit here to summarize the three ways of life that play a part in Paul's thought throughout uh, these chapters. First of all, there is life 
that he calls under the flesh. Now, the King James Version and New King, King James and NRSV call it the flesh in verse 3. The NIV consistently translates flesh as sinful nature. So you'll see that compared there if you had those two versions before you. And if you have one or the other, you'll see that there, sin nature for NIV and the flesh in the King James Version. And life under the flesh is, is life controlled by sin ruling in the heart. It is life that is self-centered and limited to the values of this world. Does not take God into account. So life under the flesh, that's, that's one one uh, way of life. Then there's life still in the flesh, but also under the law. This kind of life is described in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 25. And the person is still under the control of sin, but is trying to obey God's holy law. And you saw that struggle that was going on last Sunday as we read through that. And finally, there is life in the Spirit as described in this chapter uh, 8 of Romans. And by the power of the Spirit, the person has been delivered from the power of sin and is able to live the holy life that the law requires, life in the Spirit. So we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to take a look at what Paul describes as life in the Spirit. So if you look with me in the first four verses of Romans 8, We'll read through those, and I trust we'll see here that the fullness of the Spirit means deliverance from sin. Fullness of the Spirit means deliverance from sin. Follow along with me, starting with verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we'll stop there. So the gift of the Spirit is the promise of God to His people, to those whose sins are forgiven and from whom the the sentence of death has been removed. In verse 2, we see that the law of the Spirit of life through Christ Jesus has set us free from slavery to the law of sin and death. And the result of the redeeming work of Christ went far beyond the power of law. It changed the motivation of the heart. It destroyed or condemned sin in the flesh, in the human heart or moral nature. God is not the enemy of the human nature, the flesh. He created those things. But the whole plan of redemption was set to destroy the sinful perversion of the human nature that resisted the moving and the leading of the Spirit of God. It was not just the flesh, the sinful nature, that was condemned to death and destruction. It was the sin that had to be separated from the human nature before humanity could be filled with the Spirit. Paul's emphasis was on the positive. The glory that will be revealed in our humanity. As he goes on to say in verses 18 through 39. The human spirit must be set free from sin in order to experience life in the spirit. So that's the condition there, first of all, as far as life in the spirit. Die to sin. 
Be dead to it. Don't live in the flesh, but live in the Spirit. And the believer's part in being ready to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit is to accept the new birth provided in the atoning death of Christ and then to live or to walk according to the Spirit. So you receive Christ as your Savior. Then walk in all the light that He gives you along the way in your journey as a Christian. When you go to your Bible and have devotion time, reading God's Word and being instructed by God through His Word and have prayer time, and as you commune with God in that way, learn from Him and put it into practice. As James talks about not being double-minded, being able to read God's Word and then do it. We need to be obedient in our walk with God. As Christians, we need to be obedient in our walk with God because people are watching you. People are watching me. And they're wondering, does this all really make sense? Is it worth it? Why would I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior? What difference will it make? And we, as Christians, who've trusted Jesus Christ for eternal life, we put into practice what we read. We put into practice what is taught to us. And as we go through life's storms, it's going to happen. It's not going to be all sunny and clear skies. There are going to be life's storms that will bang on your door. And when they do, you're going to have neighbors in your neighborhood watching you. How you are going to deal with those situations? Someone who you... You, you saw pass away and you loved them dearly. How are you going to deal with that situation? Get in a car accident. People wonder, how in the world did you survive that? Or how are you going to deal with that situation now that you don't have a car? Or what? all the other things that happen with that. They see you trusting God and they see you walking by faith. And when they do, they see you living your life in the Spirit. And they see a testimony that Jesus does make a difference. We need to be ready because people are watching. And as we walk according to the Spirit, then we consecrate or we yield to the Lordship of Christ. It's yes, Lord, all the time. It might be for you at times and me at times as well. It might be, hmm, that's tough, Lord. I don't know. But then eventually you come along and you say yes. It may be delayed, but hopefully that delay is getting shorter and shorter each time. And your obedience to God as he prompts you through his word and other godly people in your life, that your, your response to him is yes. So what would it take for you to live more of your life in the spirits? That's a question I leave for you as we continue on in this chapter 8. You know, consecrating one's human nature for the cleansing and filling with the Holy Spirit is incompatible with remaining a slave to sin and self. To set yourself apart for God and then continue in your old ways of sin and selfishness, it does not mix. It's, it's your water and oil. It just does not mix. It's not compatible. So we're going to see here in these next few verses. Verses 5 through 8. Verses 5 through 8. No room. There's no room for the carnal. 
No room for the carnal. Look with me, starting with verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. We'll stop there, verse 8. This is more than avoiding certain sinful acts. The righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And you can check on John chapter 3, verse 5 about that further. The sinful living must be, must be banished by a holy life that bears fruit. A holy life that is fruitful. It's a matter of attitude or moral inclination. Verse 5 introduces the word for mind or mindedness or, or set of the mind. It is more than knowledge about something. We can all identify, yeah, that's a good thing. We, well, I see that. I can read it. I know that. But it's a different story when it takes that 12-inch trip, that foot trip, down to the heart, from your mind to your heart. We need to be able to put it into practice. It is a mind set upon what one is committed to. That is the mind as, that is fervently attached to what is good in God. We are committed to God, and then that mind is attached to that and just continually set upon that. The mind set on the flesh is death. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So the mindedness of the flesh is hostile toward God, for it is not submissive to the law of God, nor can it be. It just, it just cannot be. And there's no way that the carnal mind can please God. The worldly-minded person is not ready for the gift of the Spirit. There's just too many other things going on in that mind. Too many other things that that mind is set upon to allow room for the Spirit. A heart committed to sin and death cannot seriously invite the Holy Spirit to come in His fullness. So if, if you find yourself in the struggle of Romans chapter 7, you can probably find yourself in that struggle of having a mind set not only upon the spirit, but kind of upon the flesh. And there's that struggle going on. And a heart that is committed to sin and death can't seriously invite the Holy Spirit to come in his fullness. The old man needs to be put to death in us. That sin nature, the flesh. It's a wonderful blessing to be born of the Spirit, to be delivered from slavery to sin. But to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the indwelling presence of the Godhead for life and effective service. Jesus said the gift of the Spirit would be the other counselor who takes the place of the living personal presence of Christ. We don't have Jesus in the flesh here with us. He's not sitting in the pews with us. But we have the Holy Spirit with us who has taken now that presence, and we still have Jesus with us because of the Holy Spirit. It gets all confusing. I'm not going to get into the Trinity, 
we'll let the Bible studies take care of that and Sunday school teachers as well. But God is with us. Jesus said that the counselor will come and he can meet our needs of joy and peace and assurance and victory and hope as we live in the fullness of the Spirit. So have you experienced a new birth that breaks the power of sin that used to control your life? Have you experienced that new birth? See, only you can know for sure. No one can tell you. That's a thing between you and God, of course. If there's no longer the dreadful realization of guilt and the condemnation, and if you are set free from the bondage to sinning and death, then the indication is that something wonderful and heavenly has happened to you. Something went on. God did a work in you. You must be born of God. And the witness to sonship is richer and more precious when you are established in the gift of the Spirit. Where his, in verse 16 says, His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that you are God's child. You'll have that testimony between you and the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> if you have sensed the help of the Holy Spirit in giving you victory where there had been defeat before, it's a pretty good sign that you are genuinely converted, or at least that God is preparing you to be His child. And in any case, continue to know the Lord. Continue to walk in the Spirit until the light of God's presence shines more brightly in you. Whatever light you've received from Him, whatever truth you've received from Him, from His Word, from other godly people speaking truth into your life, walk in it. And as you walk in it, your life will be brighter among other people shining God's love around. Acts 2, verse 39 says, The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And the call certainly includes you. It certainly includes me. If you are an obedient child of God, living according to the Spirit, just invite the Holy Spirit to come in His fullness. That's what it takes. And you will know when His Spirit bears witness with your spirit that He is Lord of your life. If you have not made these choices, the next verses that we're going to be looking at here in Romans 8 reveal the path to follow to, to, follow to experience the fullness of Christ. Look with me in verse 9. And we'll see here in this portion of Scripture that the spiritual must reign. The spiritual must reign. Starting with verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. We'll stop there. The wisdom and power of the Spirit of God that delivered us out of the clutches of sin is the Spirit of life and peace. And in order to be effective, He must be entrusted with the reins to rule over our lives. We need to give over that to Him, our life to Him in that way. Any kind of responsibility we think we we should have with our lives, we submit it to Him. But this is a different kind of rule than the power of sin and self. Sin makes us slaves. The Holy Spirit sets us free from sin, allowing us to live in peace. The NIV speaks of being controlled by the Spirit in verse 9. The word control is not in the Greek of this passage. It is, in verse 14, led. Verse 14 says led. It is voluntary obedience. If forceful authority had been the method of the Spirit, He would have stopped the wickedness that caused the flood in Noah's days and would have avoided many tragedies in in history. If He were to be forceful with His righteousness and making sure you took it, you wouldn't have to go through some things, but you would be a robot. You'd be doing it unwillingly. It would be forceful. It would be something he He would cause you to do. But there is no moral value in compelled obedience. Parents, (laughs) you know this. If you've had children, you've had children, and you tried to make them do something to obey you, maybe you even shook your finger in front of their face, and you said, you will obey me. And you could always sense inside them that they're just going, yeah, right. I don't think so. You can't compel them obey. Maybe at a younger age you might be able to, but those little kids grow up to be bigger kids, taller than you, maybe stronger and hairier than you, and they could probably take you down. By then, hopefully you have them changing from being in compelled obedience to then being able to voluntarily obey. They do it out of love, not being compelled. There's no moral value in compelled obedience. We are not not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of Christ dwells in us. The Holy Spirit influences the human spirit in such a way as to enable joyful obedience to the will of God. The Holy Spirit brings us along, guides us into truth, helps us see those things, gives us the option And we can choose to follow in truth, or we can choose to follow our own way. And with the abiding and dwelling Spirit of Christ, all this is accomplished without intimidation or compulsion. 
through the Holy Spirit's leading, a believer reflects the image of God and has been restored by grace. The Spirit-filled Christian can cry out as David did in Psalm 40, verse 8, says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is within my heart. <laughs> well, if only we were able to get to that point, and some of you might be at that point as well, where we just delight in God's law. We delight in His Word. We get to that point and following after Christ in that way. That's a truly surrendered life. In Romans 8, verse 12, Paul addressed the Spirit-filled companions as brothers. They are all debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, as verse 12 said. That would be death, and that would be bad. In verse 13, but if, the, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because, verse 14 says, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. There's a big difference between being a slave who is compelled and being a son who is led. The Spirit of God not only makes us brothers of one another, He makes us approved children of the Father. This is not only an, an awareness of a fact. Verse 16, the Spirit Himself testifies along with our spirit that we are God's children. There's a, there's a testimony, a witness of the Spirit. And in verse 17, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. <laughs> you saw that word sufferings, didn't you? It's all part of the whole kit and caboodle, right? Not only good stuff, but also the difficult things too. But what a privilege to be a part of the family of God. <coughs> heirs of the glory of the, the eternal God and equal heirs with the eternal Christ. It is more than worth the cost of the sufferings that we might go through. So let me ask you this. What did our position as children of God cost heaven? What did our position as children of God cost heaven? Let me tell you, it cost heaven's best. First of all, there was all the preparation for the plan of salvation with the spirit of prophecy and grace through the ages. Then, in due time, it cost the life and death of the Son of God for our redemption. And then the concentrated abiding presence of the Holy Spirit in His completeness, just for fullness of our lives and our destiny. That's what it cost heaven. What did it cost us? Simply our all, our everything. We no longer claim ourselves. We are His and His forever. You know, it costs us the slavery to sin and self. It cost us the load of condemnation. It cost us the death penalty of sin. It sounds like a pretty good deal to me. But then someone might ask, well, what about the sufferings and conflicts that may come from this decision? <laughs> what about all that? Well, Paul basically said, no present sufferings and conflicts can be compared to the glory that will shine in us 
when it is all over. Get your mind on heaven. The prize, the reward. And it is worth it all. What is it that we gain by accepting the offer of salvation? Besides all the temporal value of freedom from the law of sin and death, there is the element of hope for a glorious future that is sure and secure. We have a place in heaven, a place that Jesus is preparing for us. It is not only a glory that will be revealed to us, it will be seen in us as well. Like I said, living, walking, breathing testimonies of God that other people will see. And as we shine like the stars in the heavens, people will want to know what is going on with you. What is up with you? And we have an opportunity to let people know. Such full and free salvation is life's greatest gift. What a tragedy that so many people miss it. If you know someone in your family, in your neighborhood, in your work associates, connections you have, and, and not, you're not passing judgment, you're discerning. You see their lifestyle, you hear what they, they do and how they lead themselves, and maybe they also too say, no, I don't need this God thing. That's the tragedy in those lives. People miss out on the gift of eternal life. And if you have that within you, so much more the tragedy that we don't tell them is upon us. Those who have received Christ as, as Savior to let others know about what God has done for you. And I've said this many times. It's probably not going to be by words. It's going to be your actions. What you do. Because they already know. You go to church, or maybe you said you're Christian, or maybe you they found you with the Bible and you're reading it or whatever. You know, they know. They're just figuring out if it's worth it. They're just looking at you to see if there is a difference that Jesus can make. And we are that living, breathing, walking testimony that God does make a difference with that relationship with Jesus Christ. We need to let people know about life's greatest gift. <laughs> if we are not, so much more the tragedy. I'm going to have the worship team come on up. They're going to lead us in a couple songs. As they do, let me just let, me just let you know that this passage in Romans is not just a review of the theology of holiness. Chapter 8, you look through it and you read it, and you could probably get kind of stuck on some things. You hit a wall and you go, what in the world does he mean by this? But this passage in Romans is the active offer of God's grace for everyday Christian living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Read through chapter 8, all the way through. We've only looked at the first 17 verses. This is God's offer of the promised gift of the Holy Spirit to all who are born of the Spirit. It is the glorious birthright of believers the heirs of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. If you have not received the gift of the Holy Spirit, claim the promise and enjoy the fullness of spiritual health and spiritual power. 
It is not difficult for one born of the Spirit and walking in the light. If you are a child of God, accept your position with the Father. Walk in all the light. Surrender your life to Him. But you know, it's your choice. That's a great thing that God has given us. It's your choice. Do you want to continue to wallow in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 24 all your life? Struggling back and forth about what you're doing you should not do, but what you do, you all those things. And live life in the flesh? Or do you want to thrive in Romans chapter 8? And live in the Spirit. It's your call. As the worship team leads us in the next song, and you sense God's prompting, I want to let you know the altar is open for you to come and pray if you need to. All I ask is that you just obey the Holy Spirit's leading.